Hello and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing the anime film Your Name, the fanfic Vinculum by Skadi7, and the Farscape episode Out of Their Minds. Hello, and welcome to episode 96, Changing Places. I'm Alex, and I'm the American one. I'm Freya, and I'm the Australian one. And I'm Macy, and I'm the English one. We are three redheaded fantasy authors. And today we're talking about body swaps. We appear to have swapped bodies ourselves, actually. But before Mm. we get into all of that, what are we reading, fellow serpents? Okay, so this is actually Freya talking now. Otherwise, <laughs> I don't have fine. to start talking good. about fan fiction, and I'm not sure I'm prepared for that. Uh, I'm just going to note, uh, to like roast myself briefly, how efficiently we got through all of that when Macy was driving rather than being the gremlin in the backseat derailing everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Isn't, yeah. isn't that so, nice when we can get through it efficiently instead of like having a gremlin in the background? No, no. Okay. Well, I will resist the urge to uh, body swap myself into gremlinitude, but what have I been reading? Uh, Finishing up the romance novel uh, streak that I was on, I read Bombshell by Sarah McLean, which is a historical that I've been really looking forward to. This is the Mm. first one in a new Sarah McLean series about a Victorian era girl gang who go Mm. around punishing terrible men wonderful it's it's great so this this first one was a lovely story about the bombshell of the group who has always gone and done exactly what she wants because she can because she has money and a title and is using her uh notoriety to (laughs) be able to disappear inside a hedge maze with a man because obviously she would only be there for scandalous reasons and then she can punish him for doing terrible things but i'm really (laughs) looking forward to the other books in the series because we meet all of the other ladies in the group and they're all going to have their own book one of them is a con artist in disguise as a wallflower one of them is a definite engineer slash scientist slash walks around creating explosives out of stuff in her handbag which i love (laughs) so that looks promising for a series uh then i read the devil and the dark water by stuart turton which is a murder mystery set on a boat in the 17th century. And so the first Stuart Turton that I read was the, oh God, it's one of the Evelyn ones, the seven and a half deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I really enjoyed, but I didn't feel that it stuck the landing. Like I enjoyed the journey of that book, but I didn't really like how it wrapped up. This one, Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed the book and I was a bit nervous about the ending, but it actually turned out exactly in a way that really, really pleased me. I don't think it would have pleased everybody, but I loved it. So a very enjoyable multi-perspective murder mystery where you're not quite sure if what's happening is actually supernatural Mm. and to do with this devil that's been cursed onto a ship and there's people dying and weird signs appearing and it's all, it was great. It was a very fast read for all that it's quite a long book. That's just how living on ships goes though, right, Alex? Sure. (laughs) sure lots of just random corpses and demonic marks appearing on the sails smudged in ash and things like that sure absolutely (laughs) all the time that happened Um, uh, and i also wanted to talk about a tv show that i watched recently which is schmigadoon 
which I really wish I had known about and watched in time for our musicals episode, because this Mm. is a short series on Apple TV, which is a musical that is very much about musicals. So it's about Mm. a young couple who are sort of hitting a rough point in their relationship. And while on a hike where they're meant to be fixing their relationship, they get stuck in a tiny town, which is straight out of a musical. And everybody there expresses things through musicals and tries to get them to work through their relationship issues by singing, which the man at least is not happy about. (laughs) And it does a lot of very, very clear homages and parodies of songs from particular musicals Mm. as it goes through, some of which I was familiar with and some of which I wasn't. I found some cool stuff on YouTube explaining some of the references that I didn't get because they're a bit um, old musicals that I didn't know. But it's very fun. It has Kristen Chenoweth in it. It has uh, Aaron Tveit in it. It's got like a lot of quite famous musical people appearing. It's got Alan Cumming as the town mayor. Uh, and it's just delightful and sparkly. And if you like musicals, you will enjoy this. Mm. Meanwhile, it has been one week, dear listeners. And so mostly I have just finished the book I was reading last time, which is Hunger Makes the Wolf by Alex Wells. And I really you finished enjoyed. a book. Yay! You finished reading me? a book. Yay, it's been so long. It really has. Like genuinely, not even mocking myself. I am proud of myself for having finished a book. Good. You should be. I was not being ironic. I was Yay. not like dragging you. Like sincerely, like great job finishing a book. I'm excited. It was really good. Um, lots and lots of feelings about like unions and the ways that workers band together to survive in company towns where the company kind of controlled your access to water and food and how do you Mm. resist when that's your circumstance and it really stuck the landing and i'm hoping there are more of them i haven't gone and looked yet um but it's an angry robot one so it's always a little hard to tell and otherwise i am down to only 22 eggs listeners you'll be happy to hear um, unfortunately, the I further have, saga. The further saga. Unfortunately, <gasps> that's less than two dozen. Unfortunately, well I have done. twelve arriving tomorrow. Um, so oh I'm, no! <laughs> I, <may> have... <laughs> I feel like you're stuck in a computer game where you entered a cheat code, code to get more I eggs, did. and now you have a never-ending stream of increasing eggs that you can't I have do anything. Four series of free groceries for shenanigan reasons and they all include eggs and I have to declare bankruptcy because the eggs keep coming and I don't know what to do (laughs) Uh, there's only two more left after this and then I'll be free you need to become the egg egg fairy for your neighbors Um, I think just like like have a nice little basket little like free eggs for you and put them on people's make some hollandaise sauce I'm not putting hollandaise sauce on other people's driveways no, not other people's driveways. You make the hollandaise sauce and then you eat it with a spoon into your wretched mouth. <laughs> and then with- I feel like I could probably eat maybe three eggs worth of hollandaise before my body would start to feel really Amateur. Amateur, Freya. <laughs> you can make you can make deviled eggs. That's a good way to get through eggs. You can make- I mean to be fair, hollandaise you then put it on more eggs. Yeah. You are creating like an, an exception. exception. Right. Really? Really, and also, I've been punned at. Listeners, and, I, I'm appealing to you for justice for this exceptional and cruelty. Then you use the egg whites to make angel food cake. Uh, anyway, I still have too many eggs to LDR. I have also spent this week listening on repeat to The, the Killer's new album, Pressure Machine which Mm. is a phenomenal piece of storytelling. Um, And if you want to feel extremely sad about the American heartland, 
listen to it. Um, Do I? Weirdly, yes. Like, it's okay. it's very mm. good. Um, it's much more, like, acoustic than their usual, like, Jenny was a friend of mine, mm-hmm. etc. Mr. Brightside. Um, I guess because mm. they were doing it in a home studio, presumably. But it's, it's hard to describe, but um, it's very, very affecting. And that's what I've been up to in my media diet over the past seven days. Very good. I have been continuing my quilt project, which means that I have been continuing listening to podcasts. Um, Campaign Skyjacks is, of course, my favorite one. Uh, it is, as I have told you before, dear listeners, a actual play uh, a role-playing game podcast uh, about airship pirates in a setting that's inspired by the music of the Decemberists, and it's very queer and wonderful and really literally some of the best storytelling I have ever heard from podcasts. Uh, I also read a book that Freya recommended on Ooh. last week's episode, The Bachelor's Ballet. Oh, yes. yes. Yes, which was um, a MM romance about a gorgeous idiot of a young man. He's so dumb. He's like a golden retriever of, oh. a, of a young man. And I love him with all of my heart. Oh. Um, he has to be led and... by the hand up to emotional oh. awareness. Correct. Uh, and his uh, extremely uh, competent valet. Uh, there's a scene at the beginning where the valet has to sort of like very gently explain to him that gay people exist. And that's why he was like, having such a good time kissing boys when he was in university. <laughs> Dear Lord. Extremely funny. Uh, I had a great time with it. I felt like the sort of fealty stuff didn't quite stick the landing. It kind of petered out. But, like, I enjoyed the romance so much. And it was just, like, really fun and sweet. And um, I read it in one sitting. So highly recommend. I think, I think as far as the fealty thing goes, I think that book in particular is more interested in them being equals. Right. Mm, yeah. Than really digging into the fealty thing. We can discuss that off air because I have further thoughts, but I don't want to, like, I have critique of it. But I don't want it to sound like negative criticism mm. because it is a great book and I enjoyed it so much. So we'll discuss off air whether it was effective or not. Um, and then the final thing that I read was Petty Treasons by Victoria Goddard, which is a brand new novella that literally just came out today, uh, the day that we are recording this podcast. I got to beta read this Yay. and uh, that was great fun and it was amazing to watch it. Uh, improve by leaps and bounds across revisions and it is about his radiancy and Cleofer from the hands of the emperor Uh, it's kind of a prequel novella to that book Um, and it is about sort of the beginnings of their friendship and how they met and sort of started on this beautiful journey that they go to go through together Uh, and it's wonderful and I love it a whole lot everyone should go buy it and read it well, that sounds like a fun little thing that I'm going to put aside for when I need cheering up. Yes. Well. <laughs> well or well, not. Alex. Given Alex's expression when you said that. <laughs> what well. mood do I want to be in for this novella, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it does end up end on like a really like cheerful sort of like hopeful note. But since it is like the beginning of their relationship like a lot of the things that Cleofer has done over the years to fix things and make things better have not yet happened um you do get to see a couple of those things happen in this story um but it's i mean 
it's not sad. <laughs> it's not. It's well, not a sad I feel story. Like if, given it's a prequel to something that I have read, I will then read yeah. it and slot in mentally the entire emotional arc of Hands of the Emperor afterwards. Yes. 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 Freya, you have All a right. note well, to Before we move yes. on to the main episode, uh, we want to remind everybody that our 100th episode, the final one that we will be recording for the moment, is going to be our super extravaganza episode, <laughs> double length. Please, please, please submit some questions to us so that we have something to say. I'm sure we will find things to say even if you don't, but we would love to take this opportunity to answer questions about anything that we have talked about. Maybe play some games. Play some games, yes. Play some games, possibly. Yeah. You do enjoy the games. You can go a little broader than questions. Yeah, Yeah, it doesn't have to be questions. You can send us games as well. Yeah, so if if you would like something for us to do slash talk about in our episode 100, please submit questions uh, via Twitter or via email or via Tumblr Mm -hmm. Askbox. Preferably via email. Macy has struck a contract that she will no longer require pigeons, but will Always happily look at bird pictures. And I think the day that we're recording that is like November 19th or something. I think we don't know. I think we don't don't know. know. We don't know exactly yet, but it will be somewhere in the middle of November. November. Somewhere. It's fine. It's fine. We are very organized, dear listeners. We are extremely competent, professional human beings. Correct. Send us questions. In a a very uncharacteristic streak, the reason we are less organized on date is actually Mm -hmm. me. Freya has saved up all of her chaos budget and spent it all at once. Yes, and I'm attempting to fit, uh, you know, debut novel mm. stuff around the first few weeks of November. So, but fear not, the episode will be recorded at, the- <laughs> at some point. <laughs> we bloody hope so. At some point. No, we're just going to yeah, stop at episode 99 and just be like stuck on it forever. Uh, anyway, should we have an episode? <laughs> Speaking of episodes. Well, we do have an actual episode to get to today. We Macy. do. Uh, and so... Macy is going to start us off with a absolutely gorgeous movie, mm. um, which is the anime uh, movie, feature length movie, uh, Your Name, which I believe is Kamino Wa in Japanese. Um, and this is a body swap film, shocking you deeply, given the topic of our episode. Um, so this is a movie about two high school students in Japan, um, a young man named Taki who lives in Tokyo and a young girl named uh, Mitsuha who lives in a small town and is a shrine maiden, who start waking up in one another's bodies. And at first they kind of think it's a dream, they don't know what's going on, but they fairly quickly figure out that they're swapping places and start leaving each other's notes, writing diaries for each other and kind of going back and forth and trying to more or less keep their lives Mm. in order and getting to know each other and getting to know each other's way of life. And part of it is, you know, Mitsuha has always wanted to go to Tokyo. She doesn't really like being, she feels kind of stuck in this little town um, where there's two pubs and no cafe. Um, And so there's some really gorgeous scenes early on where she goes in Taki's body to a cafe in Tokyo and orders uh, mango pancakes with Taki's extremely confused friends. And they're just like, why do you keep using the feminine term of yourself and like calling yourself Watashi and you're sitting in like really neat Caesar and what's happened to our friend and now you're sewing someone's skirt Mm -hmm. for them? What's going on? That was such a beautiful movie. I watched it last night and it was just like, the animation is stunning. The story is like so 
heartfelt and meaningful. And yeah, mm-hmm. I, I really, really loved it. Freya? Yes, I also really, really loved it. And I do think that the animation is something that makes it really stand out. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that the body language changes. Yeah. And I had I was really impressed. I kept picking up on these small details of what I would think of as gendered body language that wasn't even in a social situation, mm-hmm. like the scenes where um, Mitsuha as Taki is lying on the side sort of like with the phone up and scrolling through things mm. and has this sort of like that expression that you get when you're sort of reading something on the phone that you're kind of enjoying, but just the way that her shoulders hunched mm. in and that sort of the posture of being on the phone just looked really feminine. Mm. Interesting. Uh, and I think that the effort that the animators go to to distinguish that even when the character isn't talking or you can't hear mm-hmm. their inner voice mm. is really impressive. That's super yeah. interesting because um, I think, and we'll talk a little bit later on about a live action one. You see this with an actor when they're, an actor is asked to basically embody another actor, right? When they do the body swap mm-hmm. trope. But Yeah, um, and it was, it was so lovely. And like, it's just such a visual film, like even though it's about, like I mean, we can spoil, should we spoil this? Well, I, like I we will sort of... say to our listeners, we're going to talk probably a little bit about the central twist of your name. Um, and I would say, I think it watches better if you go in not knowing that twist the first time you I watch. would agree. So if you're thinking mm. about watching this, maybe skip the next five minutes or maybe skip this episode because it's an amazing film and I really think you should watch it if it sounds like your Yeah, I, I completely agree. Mm. Like, stop the episode, yes. go watch it, come back. <laughs> okay, you're back, welcome back. <laughs> so yes, this being a film about uh, a connection between people that crosses both time and I guess really like versions of mm. reality, mm-hmm. but mostly about time slip. Uh, I was really, really impressed with the unspoken storytelling of imagery in this. Like the fact that one of the things that Mitsuha and her family do is weaving and creating woven cords. Mm -hmm. And then when you're seeing some of the more, I guess, stylized versions of her and Taki, you have that like red string of fate connecting them. So there's this thing to do with weaving and cords and, um, you know, different realities coming together Mm -hmm. and timelines coming together in a knot and string so that all there was so much string imagery which i really liked and also there's this constant repeated image of doors opening like Hmm. sliding doors um like constantly constantly the train doors doors to rooms and things and it's about Mm -hmm. thresholds and it's about the liminal space between one reality or one room Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. another and as soon as like the second or third time that happened with the doors, I was like, this movie is doing something in particular with versions of reality. So and good. it was so satisfying. <laughs> good good you call, Freya. Good book. call. No. Like you can, you can get it in a book, but an author has to be very specific about it. Like I've, I've written something with strings and tethering mm. and like motifs i love i love a motif i love a motif (laughs) yeah so you can write a motif in but you have to use words to do it so you have to use some of the words whereas this it's just sometimes it's just brief sometimes it's just this is how we're choosing to present something and so it sort of slips by in the background but it builds up to something big yeah well and that's almost like how i tend to hook off the music cues and things it's something that could go unnoticed and this ability to be much more subtle with visual media with when of course there is a shot of a door opening people have to go through doors right but it's still a choice that they made to animate it that way and so it can be much more subtle mm. that's so cool yeah i mean this this film could have been doing something with musical cues in terms of like which timeline we're in which character we're in i would not have noticed <laughs> at all i was like music pretty 
<laughs> that was as far as I got. It's very nice music. It's very good. I don't think I got anything out of um, the music cooking together, but it was also a, it's music in Japanese, so I'm less recognizing. Like it's it's queuing off a different cultural set of references than the ones that I tend to mm. hook onto. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I think a couple of things about this particular use of body swap also stood out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, usually when we see this, you are sw- swapping with somebody that you mm-hmm. know. Or like somebody you've been in proximity with, with. you've been in proximity with, and you know the relationship is developed uh, past what it already is because Mm. of the body Mm -hmm. swap. This is one of the I can't think of many others that I've seen where you are swapping with somebody that you have literally no prior contact contact with or connection to, and you have to build your connection through the body swap alone. Yes. The other thing that I noticed about the body swap that I thought was very cool was how much the people around them noticed and mm-hmm. like they didn't really like come out and say like oh I've body swapped with someone this isn't my life like who are you what's going on other than like the first kind of panicked instance of it that we don't see on screen because everybody comes back the next day and it's like you were really weird yesterday and Mitsuha <laughs> who's returned to her body is like what do you mean what are you talking about uh, and we kind of find out about it at the same time that she is finding out about it. Right. Uh, and then um, the people around her, specifically her grandmother and her father, both notice that that's mm. not her in her body. Like, oh, right. you're not you. Like, who are you? Like, and I thought that that was that was really elegantly done and and interesting that they that someone mm-hmm. else noticed. And that they didn't have to do the the sort of song and dance of like trying to prove that yes, actually, like I'm someone else in in this body because people just saw it for themselves and believed it. And it was sort of interesting to me that Taki back in Tokyo really didn't have a family that could yeah. do that with him. Um, some of his friends, I think, sort of got it. Um, the the fellow waitress that he had a crush on at the beginning sort of was like, "You're being much more feminine and cute mm-hmm. now." But, like, I don't think that even she really got it because she didn't really know him that well before the switching started. Um, I was wondering, Freya, about the swapping with strangers thing. I think that it is possibly attached to some of the soulmate um, world building in some soulmate AUs and fic. One of the things that might happen with a soulmate is you might reach a certain age and then randomly body swap into your soulmate. I think I've seen that around like once or twice. Mm. And that's like how you meet them. And that, that certainly fits with, I think, with how this story was told because <laughs> it had that red string imagery. It had this sense that they were destined to mm-hmm. be together in, a, in some way. Right. And, and you're right that the body swap kind of kicked off their knowledge of one another and their soulmate-ness. Although... And the ending being kind of like bittersweet where like I have this thing about memory of loved ones disappearing where I find it incredibly affecting uh, and it really like wrecks me as a trope. And I could sort of, and watching it happen, like watching them try, because they're in the middle of this, you know, trying to stop a comet from hitting a town or getting people out of the town by the time the comet hits. Um, and that like there's plot going on, so there's not no time for yeah. them to do what they're trying to repeat one another's names. They're frantically so they trying to remember, other. yeah. But they're also trying to do you know plot things, and so they get the out the other end of being successful in the plot and have forgotten yeah. one another's yeah. names. And I found it it was so interesting, especially the use of technology that because it's a modern film, they communicate in their phones, mm-hmm. like in the notes app and diary apps, and so 
that stuff vanishing. Yes. Oh, um, that felt scene. very. Yeah, it felt very real because if it had been a handwritten diary, you know, like there would have been something more about the magical to do it, but it felt just so quick and yeah. inevitable that, yep, all of this, all this evidence that you had has been deleted yeah. from the yep. cloud. Yep. Oof. Oof. Yeah. And, oh. and, but, but at the same time, you have that sort of like note of hope at the end where they finally do come face to face again into life and have a moment of recognition of I'm meant to find this person. I've been waiting for this person, even if I can't remember why. I found it super affecting. Also, there's a couple of times earlier on as well where they wake up from a dream or they're standing somewhere and they see something and they start crying. Mm -hmm. Um, Each one of them it happens Mm. to separately just because there's something that they're almost that their body is remembering like with the physical emotion that their mind doesn't have the context yes, for. Yes, yes, And I was just like, ah, Ugh, that's so good. Such, such a good yeah, one. Yeah, I can't wait to re-watch this because I yeah. think it's going to be, like, it does make some very interesting decisions in the first 20 minutes or so, like choosing not to show you the mm-hmm. first time that they actually swap, just show you the aftermath because right, you're right. only in Mitzah's point of view. Oh, really good. It's really good. I This is the second time I've seen it and I still cried at the midpoint pivot and you know exactly mm-hmm. the scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that we won't necessarily spoil entirely. Shall we Shall we move we, on? We're nearly we should, because the episode. I, we should do some other I feel polls. like we could continue just like <laughs> gushing about your name. Yeah, I love this film. Oh. Great, great, great film. Gush, gush, gush. Insert another two hours of gushing here, dear listeners. Uh, and in the meantime, yeah, yeah, we yeah, will yeah. continue on to the next tentpole, which is our fanfic tentpole this week, which is Vinculum by Yay. Scotty7. It is an untamed fic that is also crossed over with Star Trek, which was cool and fun. Star Trek Fusion, yes. Um, Well, it was kind of a crossover because there were some shared characters. Like there was, there was only Riker. Riker and there was only Riker. Yeah. Okay, I'm not familiar enough with Star Trek to argue past that. I think we still probably still call it a fusion, in as much as like like Harry Potter fusion still have the same. Yeah, Yeah. it's kind of in that halfway point between fusion and crossover. Um, Really, I think that I would agree that it is more of a fusion because it's more about taking the characters from the Untamed and putting them in a Star Trek Mm -hmm. situation, a Star Trek kind of plot. And the plot that this is... With still background... With still background kind of Star Trek decorations, yes. Rather than like a direct crossover. Yeah. So uh, the Star Trek plot that they're in is that uh, the Yi City OT3, which is uh, Xiaoxing Chen, uh, Songlan, and Shueyang, go down to a planet for a reconnaissance mission. There's a sun flare. They, uh, Shoyang picks up an <laughs> artifact. Uh, they go back up. They're body swapped. Um, the fun Yay! and, like, they still, uh, Songlan and Xiaoxing Chen already have a romantic and sexual relationship with each other. And then Shoyang is kind of on the outside of that uh, being his usual murder gremlin self. Well, not so yeah. much murder. We, yes, yeah. gremlin, though. Um, <laughs> uh, and <laughs> they have that kind of like clashing contentious relationship and the body swapping is uh, obviously more chaotic since there's three of them rather than two yeah. uh, and the other uh, sort of unusual uh, variation that this does on the trope is that they body swap several times back and forth Mm-hmm. So, like, something will happen and they will body swap. And then they have to, like, go to actually a great deal of effort to get swapped back into their own bodies. It's not like an automatic thing, like, uh, in your name, where it just happens when they're sleeping. Right, right. Um, it's something that they actually have to go to a great deal of effort to fix. 
uh, mm-hmm. much like their relationships. It's all <laughs> it's all metaphors for relationships. Uh, and very then, like course, a Star Trek episode in that way, right? Yeah, yeah. And it mm. does some really cool things because uh, only Song Lan is a human. And so you mm-hmm. get the... Uh, and Xiao Xingjian is, of course, blind, right? So you get yeah. the different ex- ways that each of them experiences the world and perceives things with their different senses. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the alien that Shui Yang is can't really taste things as keenly as a human can. So when he's in Song Lan's body, they discover like, oh, you should try ice cream. Ice cream tastes <laughs> great when you're a human. Um, I love that. The two yeah. of like, Xiao Jing Chen just being like, oh, you have to try this. It's so good. And Song Lan's like, what? what? It's just ice cream. It's just ice cream, buddy. Yeah. Uh, yes. So yeah, just like different different ways that each of them perceives and experiences the world through their different senses. So mm. fascinating stuff. And there was a different, definite focus on that discovery of the other, especially mm. because Xiao Jing Chen is like this very curious science person yeah. who, as soon as he's in a new body, is like, "Oh my god, this is amazing! I have to try everything. Ooh, this yep. texture. Ooh, this feels different." Yeah. <laughs> Stop touching that! Stop touching this! I mean, you know, because they are in a, in a romantic and sexual relationship, it was actually surprising to me how quickly they were just like, oh, well, we're still wearing different bodies, it's still us. You know, like an hour after the swap happened, Song Lan and Zhao Jingtan yeah. were like, well, I guess we're fucking in these bodies now. <laughs> okay. Usually, I was yeah. expecting it to take a little bit longer, but sure, off you go. Fanfic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fanfic. But also, I really enjoyed, there was a part halfway through where, so the whole thing is from Song Lan's point of view, right? So we get him bopping around other people's bodies, but we're in his head. Um, and when he is in Shu Yang's body, which is an Orion, uh, there's this like surge of emotion and he's like running around, like almost stabbing someone. And they're like, no, like chill. I'm sorry. Uh, this, this body just feels things harder, mm-hmm. right? It was making and a statement about- And you see about- him kind of look at Shu Yang and be like, oh, is that? happening to you yeah is that why yeah Hmm. it was doing a thing about how much of personality is biology Mm -hmm. because often Mm -hmm. when you have a body swap you you're the person with your personality ends up in someone else's body but this Mm -hmm. was very much saying okay well the biology of the body that you're in is now Mm -hmm. going to dictate how you respond to situations because here's this hormone surge and here's a dream that you're having which is a product of the neurons that your consciousness now Mm. finds itself in. You're dreaming somebody else's dream. Yeah. Mm. Really, really fascinating. Well done stuff. It's a good chewy one. For all that it was like mostly about three people having sex in various permutations of bodies and minds. Well, sure. I mean, you can't can't get out of this without like the weird porn. That's what we're here for is the weird porn, is it not? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it it, it felt like an episode of R-rated Star Trek. Which is what fandom was founded on, I guess. That's actually true. That's very true, yes. <laughs> Macy has just highlighted that, the dot point new erogenous zones because going back to what I was saying about the like perception, like the sensory perception things, of course, like you're in a different body, like you have different like erogenous zones and different bits of you feel good. <laughs> and the Bajoran ridged penis. Yep, that too. <laughs> Thank you for Thank coming you. right out with that, Macy. I, and now the scribes will so have to transcribe since it. we've been filthy. That's it's true. It's been so long. We've we been have way been... too like generated. That's true. It was about yeah. time we went back to our roots and did a properly filthy. Hey, someone yeah. else going to their roots anyway. anyway. Um, <laughs> anyway. Sink right in there. All right. Um, well, I will move us. But on I did. Then. I did also kind of like the. Um, 
swapping into someone you hate or someone who hates you. Did it have to be him? Ugh. Speaking mm. of which. Yes. So speaking of multi-body alien swaps, our final tentpole is an episode. <laughs> the worst alien. <laughs> the worst aliens. Yeah. Is an episode <laughs> of the disaster ensemble alien Australian chaos uh, sci-fi show. This show. Farscape. <laughs> Which a good I show. love. And a good show. Oh, it's a good, good show. Of all of the shows out there, this one really commits hard to doing a trope. <laughs> and when it takes a trope, it says, we're going to take it this just... as far as we can on television. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Lots of body fluids. Farscape's into body fluids. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it could have done with it. Warning, warning for projectile vomiting. Projectile in this, vomiting, peeing in the cargo bay. Why not? Yeah. Okay, uh, a brief recap <laughs> if you're not familiar with Farscape. <laughs> it is about a group of ragtag aliens who are mostly runaway convicts on a living ship called Moya and the American NASA astronaut who gets stuck on this ship with them and then they go on many adventures. And. Mm-hmm. It is produced by the Jim Henson Company, and so there are a lot of very weird alien bodies. Puppets. Lots of them are puppets, um, and the other half are very intense prosthetics and makeup, mm-hmm. uh, especially for the time. Like this, very sort of lots and lots and mm. lots of uh, people were being weird colors. Like the bad guys in this particular Tentacles. episode were such Jim Henson puppets. Like mm-hmm. they were yes. really mm-hmm. oh, they creepy. Were. Yeah, so this episode is episode... They were, like, straight out of the Dark Crystal. They were very really Dark yeah. Crystal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, skull birds, like the giant skull birds, birds with, like, what were they dripping called? skull jaws. Yeah. I forget what they were called in the Dark Crystal. It like starts sc- with an S. The Skrillig? Or Skrillig? Skrillig? What did Macy say? Skrillig. It's like one of them was named... They were tacked or something in this... Skrillig or something like that. Yes. Yeah, they were very Dark Crystal. Anyway, the episode is season two, episode nine, Out of Their Minds. And in this episode, the mechanism by which the body swapping happens is that they come across a random ship which just seems to fire at them for no reason. And when the particular cannon weapon of this ship collides with their shield, it creates... If they're at 62%. If if the shields are at exactly 62%. Of course, it has to be this like strange fluke. Uh, It creates the effect of swapping their consciousnesses consciousnesses within the bodies and it happens in two groups of three so the characters are there's three of them in one part of the ship and three of them in another part of the ship and just as in the fanfic temple that we just discussed there is a three-way body swap within Mm -hmm. these two Mm -hmm. groups Mm -hmm. and halfway through the episode there's another swap also within those groups so you get to see each of the characters attempting to be the other parts of the characters, which you can <laughs> tell the uh, human actors who are doing this are having a great time, a great, great time uh, yeah. doing yeah. this. It, I think I quite I- liked that the first time the swap happens, there is doubling of the voices for a while. Mm-hmm. So you can get mm-hmm. used to who's in what body and then they create tags the for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> they, pay, they like tie a Polaroid around their neck with a piece of string. And honestly, love love, it's such honestly a, like, like, this is for the audience, but also you would do that if you found yourself you in would that do situation. That. Yeah, you would do that. And also, like, it's such a, like, low-tech kind of way to do it. Yeah, it's but also, very like, quieten. Yeah, and it's it's. I love to see that in in sci-fi, right? Because right, like you right. could come up, you could come up with something like wild and scientific and like 
you could like have a hologram of your actual face projected onto your face right but no like you just like have a printed out little (laughs) photo that gets hung on a string around your neck and i love that it's a low-tech solution to the problem it kind of reminds me of the probably fake aphorism about the americans spending millions and millions to make a pen that works Mm. in space and the russians just sent a pencil pencil I think that that was true, actually, but the pencil was a bad idea because if because you, of graphite. If the, right, if the graphite like snaps in space, that's not a good thing for hmm. space. Well, also equipment. graphite is conductive, so if you get also, dust from pencils on your wiring, it can bridge it can between be bad. the wires. It's, it's yeah. just not good. It's just not great, really. Yeah. So anyway, maybe it, was, maybe it was actually a good idea to spend millions of dollars on a pen hmm. that can write in space. Who knows? Yeah. Um, no. Anyway, so back to the episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yes, as I said, because the aliens in this are very alien, a lot of the humour in this episode comes from one particular alien race finding itself in the body of something that it considers to be deeply weird. And especially the humour of the person who is most affronted at being in the human body is the alien character, Rigel, who we kind of think of as being like this, like, small toady gremlin who kind of scurries around but he is so affronted that he is in this disgusting (laughs) human body and wants his perfect (laughs) royal self back yes it's good he's great uh i michael and like the the actors continuously say that he smells as well so the audience were like this is like a smelly toad there's a smelly toad who farts a lot but also the fact that one of the characters the pilot is neurally Mm. and bodily linked to the ship moya and right. suddenly right. somebody else's consciousness finding themselves within this neural link. They don't know what to do. And Moya doesn't know what's happening. And so you have like this sense of real danger and threat right. coming because you do find a consciousness in a body that it can't deal with. And when right. Pilot's consciousness goes into somebody else's body, the, you know, into Chiana's body, the body reacts badly, like almost starts becoming very unwell with right. it. Yeah. Right. Sort of like a an organ transplant, like the body trying to reject yeah, yeah, the transplant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, yeah it, it winds up the tension very, very effectively. And I was particularly fond of the acting choices of the two folks pretending to be Chiana, right? Yes. Like they had a lot of fun with body language because yeah, Chiana like the is the like slinky femme thief type. And so you have the big muscle dude like kind of curling in on himself. and like, Yes, fluttering. Anthony Simcoe doing the like... <laughs> head wiggle and they're like oh yeah oh really <laughs> and then seducing Crichton. <laughs> oh, yeah it was wonderful yeah. and then you know you have the more basic thing of Crichton in Aaron oh. being like boobs and then he just basically just I, makes them jiggle i'm so tired of I know. yeah so i have i have further thoughts about that and i think i want to like discuss them in the next section that we get to okay um, so or let's put a pin section. in that and come back in it Say what? There. I mean, your name. We've got a Wikipedia research in between, but yeah. then I see the section and we'll oh, I give see. you a space. Mm. I mean, your yeah. name so kind like, of did a similar thing as well, but yeah, and, and it's like, do and, we need to? And actually, so did so did Vinculin. Like, they all hit that trope of like mm. we are going to sort of violate each other's bodily mm. autonomy while we're body swapped. And I want to come back to that like yeah, later yeah, when yeah, we yeah. talk about Put like using this for comedic purposes so coming back to that but then there was the the actually faintly sweet flirtation between dargo and chiana once they're back in their own bodies <laughs> i mean he tried bless his heart he, he tried. tried i do love dargo he tried. so this is i will then i will read you what i put in my dot points Dillison. yes um so the the big bluff like face tentacle having alien and the lithe slinky uh thief alien the big bluff alien says to chiana I really uh, enjoyed 
being inside your body. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, oh my god. Oh, okay. <laughs> Never since the I love dogs, I've always loved dogs, has there been a more useless declaration of interest to an alien. <laughs> Jupiter Ascending, the best <laughs> Jupiter film. Ascending is the best movie. But it's true, it makes <laughs> that kind movie. of like, you know, that slightly sexual... Uh, sense of you know right. inhabiting somebody else's body and turns it into an admiration which was quite right. nice you say you know you have a lovely body i really enjoyed it it was nice she's like oh and, you like my actually- body oh that's nice thank you <laughs> <laughs> and i think it's actually quite meaningful as well because like he is this big buff muscly guy right? Right, right right and she is kind of the polar opposite of everything that he is and so not just expressing i like your body in a sexual way but also like i i enjoyed I being expect. Yeah, it's 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 very weird and like sexual to say it that way, but also it's it is a very sweet kind of sentiment. Yeah, hmm. right. And you don't really get the sense he's not being sleazy when he says it. It's kind of delivered in an almost like innocent slash accidental in innuendo. Like I didn't get that he was meaning. I, I think, think it came out wrong. I think it kind of came out wrong. My sense was that he knew how weird it would sound, but there wasn't any other real way to say it. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. Oh, respect. Dargo Uh, is a good character. Yes. He is a good character. Good boy. Freya, would you like to tell us about your Wikipedia research (laughs) sidebar? Freya went spelunking I did go spelunking. I went spelunking first on TV tropes and then on Wikipedia. Because when we're doing a trope like this, I always get curious about its origins. And Mm -hmm. if there actually was one particular text that did it first. Mm, And I think with this one, I think if there is an Ur text, it's probably a little bit hidden in the depths of time because it's been around as a trope for a very long time in speculative texts. TV Tropes calls it the Freaky Friday Flip, uh, which is uh, based on a book called Freaky Friday, which came out in 1972 and has been made into a movie many, many times. Mm. Uh, but Star Trek originally did it in a science fiction context, apparently in 69 in the first series. Mm. And obviously Star Trek did lots of these tropes in a sci-fi setting first, and everybody else has done their own spin on them ever since. Uh, and then I found this, which I just found a delightful paragraph, which has made me really, really want to go and read this book. But apparently this particular trope, there is a PG Woodhouse novel about Amazing. it, like Jeeves and Worcester, P.G. Woodhouse, in which Reginald, <laughs> third Earl of Havishot, and Joey Cooley, child film star and the idol of American motherhood, whatever that means, what? swap bodies while under sedation at the dentist. Uh, and the comment there is that the narration from Reggie apparently makes it clear that this was already a well-known trope at the time huh. of this book coming out in the 1930s, because part of it is Reggie saying that in fiction, when this happens, the people are never believed. Yeah. Amazing. That's almost reminding me of the the movie from our authorial glamour episode. Mm, mm. Where he's like, but little did he little know. Did he know. He's like, that's a bad sign. So I really <laughs> want to go and find this particular Woodhouse novel now because I think he would do quite fun things with Body Swap. But yes, it's, it's a very old trope. And I think what we wanted to talk about is what are the uses of this trope when it's used mm. in a narrative. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and so like my... We have a, a wonderful list of, of the taxonomy here. Um, and the first one is just for comedic purposes, because I think that that is like the most common right. way to use this trope. Like it is a funny situation to find yourself in. It's unexpected. And right. look at these people sort of fumbling their way around each other's lives and trying to figure out how this is. But I think that there's a lot of 
sort of unexamined sub-beats of the trope that mm. have not been interrogated or examined, and they're kind of treated as normal. And they're actually, when you start digging into them, kind of ugly pieces of humor. Because in, uh, like I, I said a, a minute or two ago, all three of our, our tent poles use a comedic beat of, well, not so much, Vinculum doesn't use it so much as a comedic beat, but it still right. commits the trope, which is that, that when you're in someone else's body, the first thing that you do is you look at their boobs, you look at the, their genitals, you start playing around with it as if it's your own. And so it opens up this weird question of like, well, is that your body or is that mm. someone else's body? Um, do you actually have the right to intrude on their privacy like that? Fight. But also their body is going through normal bodily processes, like what happens when you need to pee? Like, mm. Yeah, like you, 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 on the one hand as an author, you want to say like, you should probably be getting consent before like masturbating in someone else's body. Yeah, or, ha or God, to pee or having sex to with someone. You definitely need to get consent from the person whose body it is before you have sex with someone else who they have never had sex with. Like, And I yeah. mean, that's, that's the question is... Um, sometimes it's fairly clear that the society doesn't consider that, right? Uh, or at yeah. least that the the piece of fiction does not consider that. And I could see that being, in a society, if this happened enough for there to be norms around it, perhaps that would be part of it. But that's mm. not, it's kind of assumed by by creators a lot. Yeah. And that the work just isn't there. Right. And like, like the ugliest example of it is in Farscape when John Crichton immediately, immediately starts molesting Aaron's body, essentially. Right. And that isn't treated as more than like eye roll, Ugh, guys, boys will be boys, I guess. Mm. On the other hand, Farscape also does a comedic beat, which you would expect it to be an ugly piece of, of comedy, and it isn't, where there's that scene where Dargo, it, or where it's Kiana in Dargo's body and Rigel mm. in Crichton's body. And Kiana kind of gets, like, sexy and, like, seduces him a little bit. And it, I, I, I didn't remember the episode very well from the last time that I saw it. So I was, like, tensed up. I was like, oh, are they going to do, like, oh, this is, look at these two men flirting with each other. This is right. a joke, obviously. And they, they didn't go there right. because they aren't doing the, ew, like, gay gross right it's it's funny because of who these characters are as people rather right. than the gender stuff yeah it was all about the fact that kiana was doing something like she was like oh this is clearly the only solution but you never yeah. lost sight of the fact that it was kiana who was right. doing yeah. the thing because as a show farscape like yes it does i think have you know, quite a few problems looking at it in today's eyes mm -hmm. but it always plays things straight like it doesn't yeah. shy away from doing sure, doing things and committing fully to them and so it was played very much as a not necessarily a serious scene but it took what was happening in the scene seriously yeah but i think that's the difference between john and i think molesting is the word is what it felt like to watch mm. um, yeah. because it, john is objectifying the physical body that he's in knowing that it's somebody else's yes mm -hmm. whereas kiana is just trying to seduce the dodgiest fellow crewmate to run away because that's who she is. Right. As a yeah, person. and it had nothing to Rigel do with is. the body that she would have that done it to in. whoever Rigel landed yep. in. Yep. It didn't really matter to her. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, and I think you made a note there about um, dysphoria as well, Alex. Yes, yes, because that's the 
sort of the other aspect of the comedy is that there's often this comedic beat of like, oh, I'm a man, I'm in a woman's body now. Ah, like, um, and it's never treated as seriously as I would like to see it treated. They seem to get over it fairly quickly. And it feels kind of like trans erasure uh, Mm -hmm. in a way because like they don't deal with like, the actual dysphoria of what it would feel like to be in a body that isn't yours. Um, The discomfort of it, the anxiety of it. Mm -hmm. Um, That's something that like so many trans people deal with every day. And I would love to see a body swap piece of media that approached it with that kind of sensitivity and sense of realism. I feel like I've seen it sometimes in fan fiction Mm. and particularly when it's longer periods of body swap rather than like one day, you know? Yeah. Uh, But I definitely agree that like in pro media and particularly in visual media, if it happens at all, it's treated as a joke. The discomfort itself is joked about. And I don't love that. Mm. Um, Yeah. You know, I'm almost thinking of like the episode in Babylon 5 where the Minbari start to grow hair. Right. And there's dysmorphia there. And the show actually deals with it as like a serious, sympathetic thing. And they like... Mm the Ivanova goes in and like helps explain and this is what's happened to your body you know I'm sorry these changes are distressing to you here's what we have to do together to help deal with it which to me felt almost more respectful of like the body changes that you would have when transitioning yeah uh, than this type of thing does Mm. yes and like the character in the Farscape episode that had the most dysphoria was Rigel like everybody else was just sort of like oh well we just have to get on with things and he was the one who was sort of saying this is weird this is not me I don't like this body. Mm. It's not right. Yeah. But, uh, so, yeah. So, comedic purposes <laughs> is one of the things we can use this trope for. Complicated. But we should be careful and think mm-hmm. about it a little bit more than maybe these examples did. did. Yes. What else? Well, obviously, the second one is sort of like on a grand scheme of things, what sort of story are you trying to tell by using mm. this trope? And usually, it is body swap as a mechanism to come to a deeper understanding of the person. Maybe Friday and your mother. Yes, of the person that you have swap places with, which is why I think it often is somebody that you know, but also somebody mm. with mm-hmm. whom a level of enmity exists. That makes sense. Because you are quite literally stepping into their shoes uh, in order to understand the life that they're living and where they're coming from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also I see this sometimes as a way to resolve romantic idiocy shall i call it mm. the i don't know if he really likes me likes me yes. thing oh now i'm in his uh, body and he's looking at my body and oh look a boner <laughs> okay <laughs> but also just like getting a better understanding of one another as a way to resolve a romantic tension mm. Mm, yeah um, i think in fan fiction that is often the point of right. the trope because fan fiction loves to tell a love story loves to tell a love story who whom amongst us exactly whom amongst us mm. Um, but I also was wondering, do we consider Jumanji to be body swap? The new Jumanji film that we just tentpoled right, several right, episodes one. ago. Yes, yes, yes. Um, That's an not, interesting I don't think it's question. Body swap, but I think it has an element of it only because the avatars that they swap into map roughly onto the kind of characters that they are expecting to be. Mm. Like I think more because the, more of it is to do with the fact that you you're becoming somebody completely different to yourself, but there's not necessarily right. that you're going through the experience of somebody else. Apart from the fact that um, the like nerdy, not popular girl gets put into the body of someone who is like drop dead gorgeous and is going through being the pretty girl oh, and right, what yeah. that means and her relationship with 
the pretty girl in quotation marks. So I think there's some elements right. of it, but I wouldn't call it straight body swap. Right. And I think, uh, so for listeners who weren't here when we did the, the games, in, in this, um, a set of real teenagers get dropped into basically playable characters in a video game that are a different body. And I don't know, I mean, if they had body swapped in such a way that the characters from the game had ended up in their places, mm. I'm not sure that it would have functioned any differently. I guess that's why it came to mind. I'm like, mm. yeah. I think it, it does a lot of the same things, which is just consciousness in unfamiliar body. Mm. Yeah. And then yeah. through that, they do come into a greater understanding of each other, even though the bodies therein are not one another's bodies. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that gives us one of the various justifications, which was it's a video game. And I'm looking at Sword Art Online as another example of this. Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. do I have a different body? It's a video game. What else? Yeah. Well, sci-fi, you can just do whatever you want. So <laughs> if it's Star Trek, you can be like, it was a transporter accident. I love that. And if you are in the Stargate world, you can just be like, someone touched some alien tech, which is the excuse oh. for 90% of the shenanigans that occur in any given Stargate season. I have deep respect for Farscapes. We got shot with a thing. And I'm like, why would that make this happen? Why? Who, who cares? <laughs> they make... I have a question. Do you think uh-huh. scum villain counts as body swap? Ooh, transmigration. Transmigration, yeah, because... Um, huh. So I think, Shen- I think what then... Kind of. Yeah, so yeah. maybe I would say that then Jumanji is doing transmigration. That Ooh. is literally what it's doing. <laughs> Holy shit! Holy shit, that's a transmigration film! <laughs> wow, Freya. Oh. I will say, though, um, Shen Qingchu Shen Qingchu. yep. But Shang Qinghua is not... Because I think that if you jump yes. into the baby, is it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. kind of, because like that was going to grow up to be a character that you displaced. And also, and also he's the author. And so like I mean, all of the characters kind of come from his own head anyway. So they already belong to him. Oh, oh that's a weird way of looking at it. Like Uber Daddy, but I think I mean um, one thing if you're thinking about uh, justification, a be, an important yeah, one is was yeah, yeah. this an accident? Uh, oh, so yes. like well, like in Farscape, this was very much a weird side effect of a strange confluence of events mm. in the Farscape episode, or is this something that was inflicted upon them deliberately, or is it a deliberate thing? Like, is it a spell or a curse that exists for the purpose yeah. of making you see somebody else's point of view? Well, that's one thing I really appreciated, shall we say, about Vinculum, is that in the end, it's like, yeah, you picked up a dagger, and the dagger is like a physical manifestation of this chaos being from another dimension that's fucking with you, and I'm looking there like, that is very Zhu Yang. Like, that suits Mm. him very, very well. So it's like, (laughs) was it on purpose? Mm. I guess it was on the dagger's purpose that they were swapping. And from a more, like, Doylean narrative point of view... It works with those particular characters from the Untamed because there is actually an element of one of them inhabiting the other one's body in the canon. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. <sighs> and um, in more than one direction, because you could argue that by reanimating Songlan himself, Zhu Yang sort of inhabits Songlan in the same way that Xiao Jing Chen's eyes inhabit Songlan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's the whole thing with um, Wei Wuxian doing empathy. And sort of reliving the um, events that happened through their perceptions, which is also a little bit body swap, a little bit. Yeah, it is, kind of. Yeah. Amazing. What else? Variations in the mind-brain I think that that was what I talked about earlier, where depending on how you want to play the trope, you can take advantage of 
how to what extent are you in somebody else's brain matter and to mm. what extent does that mm, then invisible. influence your dreams your personality the memories mm. that you have um but but going back to what you said about like why would this happen is it just an accident or is it something that was meant to be chaos demon handwave in your mm. name it felt like it was yes. like there's not really an explanation for how it happened but there very much felt like there is a why like this was something right. that mm. was destined to happen in order to avert the disastrous timeline yes. right right because like like mm. fate was kind of doing a thing to heal itself yes yes and then once it was healed it tidied up after itself by removing the memories yes and you also get told that this happened to mitsuha's mother and grandmother and possibly implied further on back as well mm. and that they also forgot and that just makes me wonder like what was the universe putting out there through them mm, and is it that there's some kind fix. of like predisposition that you have to be mm. able to do will this? it happen to mitsuha if, Ta- if mitsuha and taki have kids will it happen yeah. to their kids mm. and also like is it is it linked to the their bloodline or is it linked to the shrine mm. because like mm. since the shrine has now been destroyed by the comet like is it still going to to happen but the home of the god has not been destroyed by the That's comet. true. That's so the true. question is, which is more important? And I would say probably the home of home the god. The home of the god, mm. yeah. That, I mean, the way that it played out in that narrative has a lot to do with the different trope, which is the time traveling within your own uh, timeline. Yes. Like your consciousness mm-hmm. being dropped into a previous consciousness. And like this can also be played as almost body swap. Like one of my favorite yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Winter Soldier fix has Bucky's consciousness be swapped between Howling Commando era Bucky and um, mm. like Winter wow, Soldier that's... era Bucky, and it's <laughs> got a lot. To, it's it's that's similar. A hot mess. It's a whole mess. Like it's got this whole like different timelines. <laughs> it's the same person, but you're also completely a different person, mm-hmm. and like yeah. past and then having to I leave have no arms. and like having to leave clues for your future self by acting in the past. Yeah. It's a really good fic. Um, I, that's I think it's gorgeous. Called... What's it called? Let me, it's called, um, it's by Athare. Let me see if I can find it. Yes, this fic is called To Memory Now I Can't Recall by Athare. It's really good. I feel like Howl would absolutely do this by accident. And then possibly again on purpose to Sophie. Like they would swap for fun. There were, no, no, that wasn't body swap. That was like they got transformed into something else. It wasn't like swap it in the sequel to Howl's Moving Castle, Castle in the Air. It happens twice. Well, uh, when I was trying to think about um, book examples, mm-hmm. I was wondering, do we think that old Sophie is, I mean, it's obvious, it's not body swap, but like how related is it? Well, so you do have the element of like dysphoria and kind of right. getting used to a body that isn't your own. And it's an externally uh, sourced thing that happens. But I think that that's mm. as far as I would go with the compare-contrast. Hmm. I think that the interesting thing there is that she doesn't lack... Okay, I'm, I'm thinking it out now. Okay, yeah. it is important to me in a body swap that part of it is that the consciousness lands in a location and setting that matches the physical body not the consciousness. So transmigration is closer because you're going into the place where Shen Chu is meant to be and everyone around him expects him to act like the body. Mm. Whereas Sophie is just being transformed in place and the body no longer fits the setting rather than the other way mm. around. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think yes. in something like the plain Freaky Friday 
swap. You are mm-hmm. expected to, to the best of your ability, live the life of the body that you're in. That's right, part and that's of a choice. huge, huge part of it. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think, why the transmigration really does ping off a lot of those tropes. Mm. Because you have to blend in, right? You have to make it work as the other person. Yeah. So books, books that do this. Has Pratchett done this? I was. I feel like he should have. Yeah, I was trying to remember this. I can't think... Unless it's one of the like older Discworlds that I haven't really oh, read. Oh, oh, yes, 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 yes. Sort of, sort of, sort of. Uh, no, but that's more time travel. That's not really body swap. I was going to say Nightwatch. Oh, the Vimes one? Yeah. Mm. So, well, so he kind of goes oh, back yeah. in time. It's like everybody else thinks that it's body swap. Because <laughs> like he is, he is transported back in time, both body and consciousness, right? And they think that he is, he tells them like some other name, right? And so they but he, like, but he is it still was a famous himself. dude. In his but, own yeah. body. It's more sort of just, yeah. it's just being, but he's it's just more. time travel. It's almost like the thing in Guardian where Kunlun, where he, where, um, what's his, what's name? his name? Goes back yeah. in time and becomes. Yes. What's his name? General the, the other, what's his name? The yes. main <laughs> character. The main character of Guardian. Right. <laughs> Listen, what was the name of the Vimes book back in time? Sorry. I Night didn't, Watch. Didn't uh, that was Nightwatch. 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 Yeah. I'm like, it's not Feet of Clay. No. I, can, no, no, I can't think of that. a Discworld that plays this. I think the closest I can come in Pratchett is in Good Omens, where there's body sharing of multiple consciousnesses uh-huh. when um, yeah. Aziraphale oh, gets and disembodied the... and has to ride <laughs> with, <laughs> with the medium. And in the Good Omens miniseries, right at the end, Aziraphale and Crowley do swap bodies intentionally, mm. or they yes. swap like the appearance of bodies to get away with um, things. Fun. That was great. Actually, that that's good. a really pure use of body swap because you are taking advantage of something to do with the mm, nature the of the person. Like, you know, you can then go and bathe in holy water, but because the nature of the soul that is inside the body is not demonic, it's angelic, you can just have someone yeah. splashing around and not and being fine. Being totally I love fine. That. And I think yeah. that's one thing that I meant to mention earlier was I think that it's somewhat rarer to have body swap that is a good thing, that is a tool that is mm. useful, mm. rather yes. than body swap that is a narrative obstacle. Yes. Right? Agreed. And so in your name they start kind of treating it as like an obstacle to the narrative of, I just want to live my life as a teenager. Why is this happening to me? But it turns out that it's actually hugely necessary for them to solve the actual problem of the plot. Yes. Which I thought was another really cool divergence from that movie, from the typical use of the trope. Mm. Yes. Yes, Sadly. absolutely. So we are we are running up to the end of the episode. Does yes. anyone have any very brief final thoughts or shall future Alex just sort of cut it off at a snarky kind of clever end point somewhere we, we put our trust in, in yeah, future we will Alex. just leave that up to future Alex <laughs> good luck future <laughs> Alex I'm about to kind of go through a body swap through the, the magic of linear time like time travel yes Ooh. forward <laughs> Hello everybody, thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. I've been thinking a lot about all of our tentpoles since we recorded this episode. There's something about this trope that really works for me and interests me and makes me want to tug it apart and consider all its pieces. I don't know if it's my medical background, but I think that does contribute a bit. There's nothing like working in medicine to make you aware that we really are our bodies. We're at their mercy, we're their caretakers, and they're so important in how we experience the world. But I also love that body swap is a trope that can lend itself just as well to fluffy, cracky romance as to really quite disturbing body horror. It's the little black dress of sci-fi tropes, honestly. 
And now, for the next episode, two weeks hence on October 20th, get ready for possibly some singing and definitely for Macy and I to spend at least half the episode regaling Alex with stories from this one time at choir camp, because we're talking about music in speculative fiction. Not musicals this time, just music. One of our temples is the only just-released novel, Light from Uncommon Stars, by Rika Alki, which I'm going to highly recommend you check out so that you can enjoy our discussion in the episode. And if you, like us, have that one friend in the group who always notices the motifs in the soundtracks, maybe give them a heads up. Questions? Comments? Breathless adulations? As ever, you can get in touch with us at serpentcast at gmail.com, and we're at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr. If you do enjoy the podcast and would like to support us, you can still find our Patreon at patreon.com slash serpentcast, or consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes so we can continue to reach new listeners. And by the way, I'm sure we'd enjoy being inside your body. You're taking good care of it.